Welcome to 900 Ackland Avenue. This is the podcast for the Ackland Avenue Church of Christ. This episode is from a sermon J.P. Conway preached on March 1st, 2020. The sermon was on Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. Uh, Arlen, Nora, Ellie, you want to come up and help me real quick? So these young ladies are going to pass out some names. If every family or individual could get a name, there's about 35 of them. So if we run out and I'm sorry, each each family get one of these names, and I'll I'll tell you about it as they pass it out. Thank you, ladies. So our Ackland partner, you know, each month we have an Ackland partner. This is a, a group in the community that we partner with and pray for in various ways. And our partner for the month of March is the Life Program. Now, if you've been here a while, you know about the Life Program. But if you're new, let me tell you about it. The Life Program is an opportunity for those in prison to get a college education. And this happens under the auspices of nearby Lipscomb University. And for some years, they've offered courses at the Tennessee Prison for Women. And over the last year, they begin to offer courses at, at Riverbend as well for men. So some of these names you'll notice are, are men's names, and this is a newer thing. Some are women's names. And these are new students in the program over the last year. Uh, Robbie Spivey, who has taught in the program for some years, is working full-time with it since August. Uh, Jackie has a course this semester, right? Jackie's taught it. Andy's taught in it before. Um, Paul Prill has taught in it before. Our um, church, we offer Paul Spivey's two scholarships we do as a church. I put them on the spot. I know how. So, one or two. One or two. Right. This is great for Paul that I just to have a conversation. I work in dollar amounts, <laughs> But uh, we're really blessed to partner in this great work, and we're really blessed that we have folks here that teach these courses. And various times over the years, Robbie and others have taken some of you out to the prison. Raise your hand if you've been out to the prison and seen some of these courses. A number of you have. It's a great thing. So we just wanted to give out these names of these students. And what, what I'd love for you to do is to take this name home, maybe put it on your refrigerator, maybe take it to your mirror. And maybe during this Lenten season leading up to Easter, you could spend some time every day praying for this individual, this student. And I think that would be a blessed thing. So let's have a prayer for them uh, as we begin. Lord God, we thank you for these students whose names we hold. We praise you that they have all been created in your image. And we thank you that they they have an opportunity to receive an education. Father, we know that they have worked hard even to get into the program. And we know that there are many challenges that they must uh, persist through to work towards their college degree. And so we pray for them. We pray that they would be encouraged, that you would provide support for them. And be with us and go and teach these these classes, Father, that you would encourage them, that you would equip them with your Holy Spirit. And Lord, we pray that that if and when these folks get out, that this this college degree enables them to more fully use their gifts uh, for the betterment of all society. Lord, we ask that in various ways you work through us so that we we would never forget the least of these, and that we would be mindful that at some point in our lives, we are all the least of these. Father, we thank you for how you work in us. To the Lord Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, according to the liturgical calendar, this is the first Sunday.
Sunday after Ash Wednesday. And so we always read the temptation account either from Matthew, Mark, or Luke. And so if you would stand with me, the readings in the bulletin, we'll read the temptation account from the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 4, the temptation account. If you'd like to join with me in the bullet section, feel free. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit to the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. This is a typo of my bad. I want you to, to join with me on the third saying from Jesus as well. Together, Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Last weekend, I was really blessed to get to go back to my college alma mater. I had not been in over 10 years. And so I went back to see campus and see some folks on campus and to visit some friends on the way and on the way back. As most of you know, I grew up in Middle Tennessee. I grew up not too far uh, from this area. But I went to college 850 miles from here, and it, it's a 13-hour drive. So I counted up that over a 60-hour window, I spent 26 hours in the car. Some of you know because I called you out of boredom. But anyway... I spent a long time in the car, and it's been 20 years since I graduated college, and I spent all this time in the car just kind of reminiscing and reflecting on all the things that happened while I was in school and all the things that have happened since then, and it was a really blessed time. Um, I spent a lot of time reminiscing about how things have gone with my friends. I was blessed to have some really good friends, and many of them have been very successful in the time since then. I stopped to visit one friend who's now a partner in a law firm. I visited another friend that's a very gifted uh, graphic designer and has worked up in his company. I have a friend that's a cardiologist, a friend that's a federal judge, a whole slew of friends that are teachers and ministers and nonprofit leaders. And yet, they're all sinners. Uh, just as I'm a sinner, just as we are all sinners. And I was meditating on the fall from grace that so many of my friends have had since college. I think of one dear friend um, that got addicted to illegal drugs and accidentally overdosed and died, leaving a wife and three children. I think of another friend who got addicted to uh, prescription painkillers and one of the strongest people I've ever known, but yet it, it got away from him and he ended up spending about a month in rehab. I think of another dear friend who was in ministry. 
uh, and he and his wife were hanging out with kind of their small group at church, and over time, he fell in love with another woman at the church, and he ran off with her, leaving his, his ministry and leaving his family behind. I think of a friend who got into this habit of deception, and sometimes about things that really weren't that important to lie about, but he just really got into deception. And over time, began to lie at work and lie to his family, and it ultimately ended up with him losing his job, losing his family, so many things. I have no bombshell sin to confess to you today, and yet I'm a sinner like him. We all are. And as I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about the last 20 years of my life, I was thinking about the times of my life that went well, and the times of my life that did not go as well. And here was the common denominator. When my appetites got the best of me, I lived a life of distraction, and I missed out on so many things. Recently, we talked about the definition of sin in Scripture as missing the mark. And I often think of sin as missing the point. Missing the point of what God created us for. And so many times in my life, as my appetites have gotten the best of me, I was distracted and missed the point of what God had in store for me. And this is what I mean by appetites. Simple appetites. Good things, but things that can take control of us, like our appetite for food, for drink, for sleep, for money, for social connection, for romantic connection, for affirmation. For amusement. And when these appetites got the best of me, I lived a life of distraction. I mean, have you ever had a day where all you could think about was that next cup of coffee, or what you were going to have for breakfast, and then what you were going to have for lunch, and then what you are going to have for dinner, and it's, it's not some dark sin or something, but you're like, I spent the whole day thinking about what my next meal was going to be. And what happens is when these appetites, and once again, they're all good things, but when they, when they take control of us, we live a life of distraction. We zone out. So I remember as a kid, my dad would often work late and my mom would be making dinner. And oftentimes before dinner, we'd be, me and my brothers would be watching TV in the next room. We would be watching The Simpsons or The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, which holds up really well, by the way. But anyway, um... I'd be in the other room watching these shows, and my mom would come in and say, Your dad's on his way home. we got to set the table. And I would not even hear that she was talking. And finally, she'd have to stand in front of the TV. Can you hear me? We've got to set the I need help here. Come on, we're about to have dinner. And it wasn't that those television shows were bad. It's just I was so distracted and Kids, you've probably seen your parents that way with their phone, right? Just like they've seen you with your various toys and stuff. We zone out. We get distracted. And we miss out on things. That's what happens with our appetites. Things that we wouldn't think were a big deal can be a big deal. If you've ever read C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters... Uh, in this fictional account, one demon is giving another demon advice on how best to tempt human beings. And in one of the opening chapters of the book, it talks about there's, there's a gentleman who 
has never been a believer, and one day he's at the British Museum, and suddenly his mind goes down a train of thought where he's thinking about, maybe there is a God. Maybe I could consider believing in that God. And 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 Wormwood is, is given I'm sorry, Screwtape, who's given the advice to Wormwood, is telling him this story, and Screwtape says, In an instant I knew I had to do something because he was starting to think about faith for the first time in his life. And so this is what I did. I reminded him that it was time for lunch. And as soon as the demon reminded this gentleman that it was time for lunch, he said, you know, it is about time for lunch. I'll pick up this thought, of, uh, this line of thought after lunch. And he never got back to it. And he said, as Screwtape is giving advice to Wormwood, he said, you would never believe how enslaved humans are to the ordinary. None of you are going to go out and rob a bank today, right? We're not, you're not going to go out and do something crazy. But our appetites distract us. And it prevents us from having the life that God created us to have. Now in the reading this morning from Matthew chapter 4, Jesus fasted for 40 days before the encounter with Satan. And we've mentioned this before. You're probably like me. You read this growing up and you would think, that's unbelievable. Jesus didn't eat anything and he was in this enormously weak moment and yet he was still able to beat Satan like he had one hand tied behind his back or something. But we're probably not reading it the right way if that's how we think. Jesus didn't go without food so that he would be weak. Jesus went without food so he would be strong. Fasting makes us Stronger. Fasting is good for us. It's not an arbitrary command to make life hard and to turn us into some type of ascetic. It's helpful advice to learn how to tame your appetites. You know, if you've ever fasted from something, you know that the first couple of days are the worst, right? Have you ever said, okay, I'm going to go without caffeine for a week? It's not that last day that's the most difficult. It's the first day. If you ever said, I'm going to go without candy, I'm going to go without chocolate, your body is so used to that sugar rush that the first day you're doing without it, it is challenging. I remember one month, this was years ago, I said, I'm going to fast from any type of sound while I'm in the car. Well, if I had people in the car, I would talk to them. But I mean, like, no podcast, no music, no anything like that. And this was a time in my life when I was normally in the car an hour, hour and a half every day. And I said, I'm not going to have any sound in the car. And the first couple days, I thought I was going crazy. I was like, I need to hear something. I need music. I need to listen to the news. Something could be happening in the world that I don't know about. I started to think about things I hadn't thought about in years. And at first, it freaked me out. Like, intrusive thoughts were, like, coming in. And I was like, I have to distract myself from thinking about all these things. And the first couple days were really hard. And then... I started to think about things that I've been trying to avoid for a long time. A long time. And clarity replaced that kind of panic to assuage my appetite. That's what fasting does for us. You know, Jesus spends a lot of time telling his followers to wake up. And we have the pivotal scene in the garden where they keep falling asleep. It's so important that we're being spiritually awake. And the main thing 
that God gives us to be spiritually awake is the discipline of fasting. Because fasting is unpleasant enough that it'll wake you up. But yet there's a blessing that comes on the other side. Fasting is good for us because it reminds us that we are more than animals. We are animals. But we are more than animals. And at times, I look, for years we had a golden retriever. And at times, I would look at my golden retriever that seemed to just live for the next meal or the next animal to chase in the yard. Just completely led by its impulses. Because so often I would see myself as exactly like my golden retriever. Just living my life to the next appetite, the next impulse, the next ball game, the next book, the next cup of coffee from impulse to impulse, just like a dog. And family, you're more than an animal. You are a spiritual being creating God's image. And fasting reminds us of this. I think for years, many Christians, specifically in our tradition, have seen fasting as an optional practice. Which is interesting. Because when Jesus talks about fasting in Matthew chapter 6, He frames it alongside giving and prayer. And those were never taught to me as optional practices. It's necessary that everyone be a giver. Now, in Christian freedom, we don't go check on what people are giving. People give various amounts in Christian freedom. And we don't judge each other based on it. But no one gets up and says, yeah, giving is kind of an optional thing. No, everyone needs to be a giver. And we approach prayer the same way. No one says, you know, you could pray if you feel like it, but if you go 10 or 15 years without praying, you're probably just fine. Not everyone prays. No. Prayer is a fundamental Christian practice that Jesus speaks of. And yet, people pray in a variety of ways at different times for various lengths, and we don't judge each other based on Christian freedom. And yet we do pray, and perhaps we should see fasting the same way. What fasting does is fasting weakens your physical appetite so that you can be aware of a greater spiritual reality. Often a spiritual reality that you were unaware of. And so it heightens that sense once you do it. And I'll give you three quick examples, okay? Which I'm violating Scripture because Scripture says you're not supposed to talk about fasting. And now I'm going to talk about it, so forgive me. It's like Fight Club, but we don't talk about it. Anyway, three, three little fasts I've done. Okay, so I got, I don't want to brag, but for Christmas, I got a $25 Amazon gift card. And I love gift cards because this is not budgeted money. I can do whatever I want with a gift card, especially Amazon sells so many things, it boggles the mind. And with this $25 Amazon gift card, I could get just about anything I wanted, unbold to no one. And the leaders in the clubhouse for me, and, and this might be embarrassing, I like ball caps. I'm really into ball caps. I like sports. I'm bald. There are various reasons. I like ball caps. But also, there were a few books I was really interested in. And I just could not decide. I mean, this $25 was like burning a hole in my pocket. So I started perusing the Amazon website. This is so embarrassing to tell you out loud. After a couple days, I realized that over the course of a full day, I was spending an hour or more on the Amazon website. Not all at once. Five minutes here, 
10 minutes there, another 20 minutes here. But I was spending over an hour a day online shopping and never pulling the trigger because so I was so paralyzed by it. And finally I said, what am I doing? And what was happening is every time I was getting stressed out about something, I was going to Amazon.com and getting a little dopamine hit as I thought about how wealthy I am with a $25 gift card. And I was escaping. Politician would tweet something crazy. Oh, I can't handle it. Where's Amazon.com to make me feel better about my life? Okay. And I finally just threw that gift card in a drawer. Because I realized I can't do this. And I have been trying to stay away from online shopping uh, for over a month since then. Another example, and, and this might sound odd to you, um, I got into this bizarre habit of checking the stock market 10 or 12 times a day. My retirement um, is in the stock market. I don't work for a group that has like a retirement account for me. I've always had my own retirement account. And my retirement account is in the stock market. I'm not retiring anytime soon. Paul, I'm not retiring. Okay, good. Okay. I'm not retiring anytime soon. There's no big reason for me to be looking at the stock market. But it got to the point, I would get out of class and I'd be like, it's almost like I needed a cigarette. Like, get out of class. I'm like, okay, where's the fuck? I checked the stock market. There's no reason for me to check the stock market 10 or 12 times a day. But it would go up and I'd be like, hey, very nice. It'd go down. I'm like, hey, why is it going down? If there's no meaning in my life right now, I mean, if I was about to retire, maybe, but I'm not, what am I doing? It's an appetite that's distracting me from things that are far important. And then a fast, this is probably the fast that I do most frequently, where I fast from the news. Because the news often is a distraction for me. I think it's helpful to be informed. But sometimes if I spend four, five, six hours reading about something that I can't control and I can't make a difference on, I think it can take me to a bad place. And so a few of you know this because I'll go to you and say, okay, I'm going to go under for two weeks. I'm not going to follow the news. But if like something really big happens, like like let me know, like another 9-11 type, like you'll tell me. I won't just walk around and not know. But, uh, but I'm, I'm going under for a while, and, and I do that. And you know what happens? You're not going to believe this I realize that there is more to reality than what the New York Times and Fox News tells us. I know you're not going to believe that. But there is more to this life than the news. There's a greater reality. And when I fast, I'm reminded of that. So, what should you fast from? You should think of the thing that you don't want to fast from. And that's what you should fast from. The thing that you, like, there's no way I could fast from that. That's what you need to fast from. And it may not be a total fast. It may be a part. If you're like, there's no way I can fast from coffee. Well, maybe, maybe you go from four cups of coffee to just one cup of coffee in a day. So you think, there's no way I can fast from the news. Well, maybe you can just set a timer, though, just 15 minutes a day. Some of you may think, there's no way I can fast from sex. And by the way, sex is a fast in the Bible. It's one of the few fasts that's mentioned explicitly, but we don't talk about it. We're like, there's no way I can fast from that. Maybe that's what you need to fast from. To demonstrate 
that no one appetite has complete control of my life. And when we fast from physical things, it will heighten us to a greater spiritual reality. This is not a burden. This is not an arbitrary command to make your life more difficult. Fasting will bring joy to your life, and fasting will put a smile on your face. Lastly, on my way back from my trip last week, I stopped in, in Dallas and spent some time with a friend, and, and he told me this story. He said, last fall he had so much stress at work like never before. He and his supervisor were not getting along, co-workers, it was a very toxic environment. He was bringing this stress home to him and his wife and his children, and just things were super stressful. He went to a counselor, it didn't help. He was trying to think of all these things. His life seemed to be spiraling. And finally, a Christian mentor just looked at him and said, tell me about your spiritual practices. And he had nothing to say. Except he went to church on Sundays, which is a good thing. Keep coming, okay? But, um, but, but that's, that's all he said. And he said, perhaps you should find, set aside a time of the day to just read your Bible journal or pray. And so he decided, maybe I should do that every morning. But he thought, if I wake up early, I'm not going to have time to go to the gym before work. And he loves to work out. He's like, oh, if I wake up early, I'm not going to have time to go to the gym. But if I wake up early, I'm going I'm to do without sleep. And he realized that to have this spiritual practice of just reading scripture and journaling 15, 20 minutes every morning, he was going to have to do without some sleep or do without some exercise. And both of those are good things, right? But his desire for, for, his desire for sleep... And his desire for working out, we're crowding out something that's even greater. So he made the commitment to every morning I'm going to wake up and I'm going to read the scriptures and journal for 15, 20 minutes a day. And over the course of about six weeks, everything got better. Now, his boss was still a jerk. And work is still stressful. But the toxic nature of it completely was cut in half, if not more. Because he was heightening his spiritual... He realized that his spiritual muscles had atrophied because he hadn't been working them out. And he was able to see that there's a greater reality and participation in that greater reality was, was helping him confront what was truly going on in his life. I don't know what fasting looks like for you. And in Christian freedom, we won't talk about it. Your life will go a whole lot better if you do it. Because I know that mine has. Friends, we do not live on bread alone. But by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Let's stand together and sing. You've been listening to 900 Ackland Avenue. The podcast for the Ackland Avenue Church of Christ. If you'd like more information about our community, our church website is http colon slash slash Thanks again for joining us. God bless.